Welcome to FNT Bible Talk, where we're going through the Bible and showcasing God's glory through His unified story. I'm your host, Felix Birch. On this episode, we're talking about 1 Samuel 13 through 26 man's king, God's king. Hey guys, welcome to FNT Bible Talk. I know it's been a long time since we last produced an episode, and I want to apologize for that, but we're excited to jump back in and to pick up where we left off. So, in case you forgot where were we last time when we had an episode, we actually had just started 1 Samuel. So what we had seen from 1 Samuel was, number one, that Israel had demanded a king for themselves. We saw, number two, how Saul was named king, And number three, how we saw Israel rejected God as their king because they wanted a human king that could be like them and lead like them. So that led us to the character Saul. And we didn't really get too deep into Saul. We looked into a little bit of who he was. But we did see how in the beginning of Saul's reign, he very much was successful. And he was ruling and he was doing everything they wanted him to do. And in fact, what we know is that God gave the people exactly what they wanted in Saul. He was a young man who was 30 years old. He had looked the part. He was strong. He was handsome. It talks about how great he was in many ways. And he actually reigned for 42 years. He did exactly what God promised an earthly king would do. He basically led an army and he fought for Israel. And God even gave him some of those military successes. He was successful in his battles. But as far as Saul's heart heart goes... It was never really surrendered to the Lord as it ought to be. He never really was someone who was given over to God fully, unlike David will see. And so it Saul very much was a picture of the people of Israel themselves, or Israel would never really fully surrender their heart to the Lord, and they would always follow after other gods. Saul followed after his own way. Life really carried out even in the beginning, particularly in chapter 13. So what happens in chapter 13 is there is this large army of Philistines of 60,000 men that come up against the Israelites. And Saul is the king at this point and he's leading them to the battle and everything. But when the Israelites see this large army that's come against them, it says they become fearful, they, they tremble, they actually begin to hide. And in some ways they scatter from Saul himself out of fear. And as if Saul had called them in around him, but they begin to scatter out of fear of the enemy. And so Saul is supposed to be waiting for Samuel to show up uh, to offer sacrifices, uh, a peace uh, sacrifice to God to bless the battle to be so that God would be with them as they go into battle. And he's supposed to wait seven days for this. Well, Samuel doesn't come in time, and so Saul takes matters into his own hands, and he essentially does not trust God. He's waiting on God, or he's waiting on Samuel, and he does not trust him, and he takes the matter into his own hand, and he performs the sacrifice himself. And when he does such, Samuel comes onto the scene right when he finishes the sacrifice. And Samuel says, what have you done? Samuel's, you know, what, what, what have you done here? What is going on? And he tries to explain to him that the men were becoming afraid. And this is what Samuel says to him in verse 14. He says, uh, or verse 13, I'm sorry. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord had commanded you. And really what Samuel is saying is what 
Saul's disobedience right here revealed is that Saul was not a man after God's own heart. He was not a man that was going to go after God's commands. God would not have a king who would walk in disobedience or not follow his own, God's heart. And so God was not going to let this king live this way because the king also was the one that would represent the nation in many ways. If the king was rebellious, so the nation would be rebellious. If the king followed God's commands, so the nation would generally follow God's commands. So God was not going to allow a king like Saul to reign. So when we look at Saul's actions here, what we find is a king who's unwilling to trust God in his timing and to wait on the Lord. And yet, it seems that we're not really that different from Saul sometimes. No, we may not be a king like Saul was, but there are definitely times in our life where it seems like there's a great task in front of us that we are incapable of completing without the Lord's help. And it seems that no matter how much we pray, no matter how much we seek God, sometimes it may seem like God is distant or He's just not answering. Um, And truthfully, when that happens, most of the time the way we act is very much like Saul did. We take matters into our own hands. And in fact, this is what human nature's done. This isn't just Saul. This is human nature. We even think about Abraham when he was promised about him becoming a great nation and he couldn't have a child. He took Hagar and, and tried to conceive a child there. He tried to take matters in his own hand. Even Moses, when he understood that you know he would be a deliverer for Israel uh, from the Egyptians, he tried to do it in his own timing. and he ended up killing an Egyptian and trying to hide the body and he had to flee. Or, or even Peter, when you think about what Peter did and, and how Peter, you know, he believed Jesus was his Messiah. But instead of waiting on God to fulfill uh, the ministry and to do everything Jesus was necessary for him, he took matters into his own hands and attacked a man with a sword. This is human nature. It's not just a Saul thing. It's what we do. And so what we can learn from the life of Saul, at least from this story, is that it, it teaches us that even though we may find it difficult to wait and trust in God when things, big battles are in front of us or big situations are in front of us, we must stay and trust and, and, and hold to what God has told us to do and to continue to seek Him and wait on Him. Um, this is what pleases the Lord. And honestly, this is exactly, in some form or fashion, this is what Jesus did. Jesus was a king who did not trust in His own way, but He trusted in the Father. What we find about Jesus is that in his hour of need and right before his death, Jesus did not, you know, presume or just decide what the will of, the, of God would be. He did not take matters in his own hand, but he said and he prayed and he bent his knee to the plans and the purposes of God saying, not my will, but yours be done. Unlike Saul who said, my will be done. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus is the perfect king who trust, who trust the, who trusted the Father fully. And therefore, Jesus is the king who was obedient even unto death on a cross, as Scripture tells us in Philippians. And so this is a, this is a human issue. This is an issue with all of us. Like, this is what we are. But Jesus wasn't this. And so when, now when we deal with situations like this, and we're like standing in front of something where we're waiting on God like Saul did, we remember and we look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you were faithful. Help me to be faithful in this moment. Help me to trust the Father in this moment in his timing for what he wants. And this is how God works in our lives. And this is Jesus. This is He's the perfect fulfillment. He's much better than Saul. Unlike Saul who took matters into his own hand, Jesus left it in the Father and trusted and did everything the Father did. And so now because the life of Christ is in us, we too can walk in obedience because Jesus lives in us and we can wait and trust the Father as Jesus did himself. So at this point, we begin to see Saul begin to 
um, become hardened towards the Lord. Disobedience is in his heart and different things. And finally, we see in chapter 15 where God rejects him as king altogether. And from this point on of the book of Samuel, we begin to see that David becomes the focal point. And what happens in chapter 15 is that God saw that he is going to use him to defeat the Amalekites, to bring judgment on them for what they have done to the people of God uh, when they left Egypt. And he says, I want you to destroy everything. I don't want anything to live. And Saul, of course, following the pattern of his own nature and who he is, he disobeys God. And in fact, it's crazy. He actually tries to say that he did obey God. But he also begins to build like a monument to his name and he throws a party for his own celebration. And it's just it's just fitting to what Saul has become is that he's begun to make himself God over God. And because of Saul's disobedience, God rejects him as king. And Samuel tells him what God has done and he's going to take the kingdom from him. He's going to rip it away and he's going to give it to someone else. And this is the last time Samuel ever sees Saul. And from this point on of the book of Samuel, the focus becomes much more about King David than Saul at this point, because King David is going to be the new king. And so setting that up, coming into King David for chapter 16, I want to look at how different David was, even from the beginning when you look at how Saul was measured compared to how David was measured. Saul was measured because he was a, a, a king of strength and power. He had physical abilities. He had certain looks. He met all the human standards and he was the ideal candidate for a king. But David we see is very different. And in fact, chapter 16 is exactly that. It tells us the story of how David was chosen as king. So what happens is Samuel sent by God to uh, Jesse's house to go and to anoint a new king, a new son. And when Samuel gets there, he you all know the story so well, but when he gets there, Jesse brings out all his sons and he lines them up. And as he lines them up, Samuel begins to go through each one of these king or each one of these sons to see if they will be the king. And he even looks upon some of them and says like like surely this will be the king, you know, he's probably good looking, he's probably tall, a lot like Saul in in maybe in many ways and these sons some of these sons may have looked like good kingly material, but God is not impressed. He is not impressed by these things. He's not impressed by height, appearance or stature or any of these things at all. But the criteria that he is looking for is so much different than that of which man looks for. And because we had already seen how man looked for the criteria that Saul had, and it, what it was is that Saul didn't have a heart that was after God. He didn't have a heart that would follow the commands of God, and God was going to have a king that would follow him, and his heart would be after him. And so ultimately, Jesse, Samuel says to Jesse, you know, do you have any other sons? And, and David comes, he calls David from the field, who's a shepherd that's not of high stature, nothing great, nothing to brag about. And he calls David in, and God speaks that this is the one. And so he anoints David as king, he anoints him to rule, and it says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. And we also can, if you think back about Saul, at one point, Saul had the Spirit of God upon him to be king. And now that Spirit was no longer on Saul, but it had been placed on David. And so this is just affirming that this is God's choice. This is God's man. And so what we see about David in particular is that he is a shepherd. 
And shepherds were nothing of stature then. It was not a coveted position in Israel. Um, and that he was even the smallest of his household. But what this tells us about God is that God does not look for those who are made of you know, the world standards or somebody would say, that's the successful person. That's somebody that I want to be a leader. God looks at the inward of the heart. And even when you contrast David and Saul, just even when you look back to chapter 15, when Saul had won that victory, he built a monument for himself and even through a party where essentially he could be praised by everybody because of what he had done. Versus this new king, this King David, his heart was filled with humility. He was a shepherd. He was hardworking. He was faithful. He did not look for position or stature, but he was humble. And so God looked into the heart of David and said, I can work with this man. And though none of us have a perfect heart, because we do not naturally, or, or we are not naturally humble people, we can be made humble because of Christ in us. And Christ can give us a heart of humility. So this should cause us to pause and to think, God is wanting to search my heart and use me based off of what's inside of my heart, not based off of how I look or my outward appearance. And so we confess before God, God, cleanse my heart, work in my heart, make me clean so that you can use me and do things through me and use me in your kingdom and glorify your name. So in chapter 16, we saw that David was anointed as king. And then right after that, it turns into chapter 17, which might be the most familiar story in all of the Bible, particularly for lost people who maybe haven't grown up in the church. It's the story of David and Goliath. But what connects chapter 16 to chapter 17, I think, is really important that we often overlook. And it's that in verse 13 of chapter 16, it says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, and from that day forward, Right? So from that day forward, on that event, the Spirit of the Lord was now upon David. And so essentially David was walking in a new anointing, and we see that in chapter 17. Y'all know how the story goes so well in chapter 17, about how the Philistines had gathered their armies for battle across from the people of Israel, and they had the two armies on one side. And that daily what would happen is the Goliath, the, the giant of, of Gath, would come out and he would taunt God and the people of God and, and mock them in front of the people, uh, in front of Israel. But Israel was too afraid to do anything. And so while all that's going on, David's back home with his father and he's tending towards the sheep. He's doing, he's being steadfast, faithful in the things he's called to do. And his father sends him to go visit his brothers who are in the army to go and deliver some cheese. On a simple assignment to deliver cheese, who knew that David would accomplish one of the greatest feats that mankind would ever hear about, to be honest with you. And so he goes and he's delivering cheese and when he gets there, he hears and sees about this giant, and this giant's mocking God, and he's mocking the people of God. And David, with that new anointing that's within him, rises up, the spirit that's within him. And he's jealous for the name of God, and he's strong for the name of God. He rises up, and he, we know how the story goes, he you know, says, how dare someone speak against God this way? How dare someone speak against the people of God like this? And he wants to challenge Goliath. And so he goes to Saul, and Saul tries to give him his armor, and David rejects the armor and says, I can't fight with these things. And he explains that, you know, God has prepared me for this moment. God has done these things in my life. And so he goes out there, and he slays this giant, and he slays Goliath. And he tops the head off, he takes the head, he leads the Israelites, they charge into to the Philistines, and they destroy and they rout the enemy. And it's an amazing story, and we've heard it our whole lives, and it's powerful. 
But one way that many people have always looked at that story, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but if we're going to kind of follow this trend of what we've talked about, looking for Christ throughout the whole Bible, is that many people have looked at it where, like, we are these Davids, and we need to slay the giants and cut off the heads of the giants, and there could be very much truth to that. But I believe that more than that is that David is a type of Christ here. You see, what Goliath represents in this story to me is that Goliath is representing the forces of evil or of darkness. And the forces of evil and darkness sit back and mock the children of God, Israel, or for us, even us Christians, the church today, sitting back and saying, you're bound up, you're, you're this, and this is happening to you, you know, and you're a failure, and you're in sin, and you'll never be free, and we're going to destroy you, and we're going to get you, we're going to overcome you, the forces of evil, the principalities and powers, these evil forces. And the people of God need a deliverer. They need someone, a representative, who can come and defeat these forces of darkness. And so David steps onto the scene to to, decapitate and destroy this force of darkness being Goliath. But for us, it was much more than that. It was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stepped forward and who was un who was not afraid of the forces of evil or of sin or these things he stepped stepped up to the fight and he took off the head of Goliath and he defeated principalities and powers is what Colossian talks about and he made an open show or spectacle of them meaning he made a mockery of them and then he charged into the battle and led us where now we are not cowardly Israelites hiding back from the fight anymore but now we are made more than conquerors in Christ Jesus and so now we run along with our Savior into the fight and into the battle to rout these these you know, forces of evil because we war against them and not flesh and blood today. And so it's a beautiful story because when you think about it, it's this picture of like David really is a picture of Christ who has accomplished everything. And Christ who was jealous for God's worship, Christ who was jealous for God's name in the sense of, you know, he wanted people to worship the Father. He wanted people to glorify the Father's name. He wasn't going to stand back and let evil win and, and and rule, but he was going to be the serpent crusher and to destroy the head of the serpent and to destroy all of evil and to save and redeem us. And so that's exactly what this story pictures to me. So when I look at this story, it encourages me that though there's giants in front of my life and there's things that I face in front of my life, maybe it's spirits that are fight, I'm fighting against, principalities I'm fighting against, I only need to remember that those principalities and powers have already been defeated because David, or my Jesus, has cut off their head and defeated them. And now I can walk forward in the midst of what's in front of me because it's already defeated. And so whether it's sin we struggle with, whether it's demonic warfare we're going through, we know that Jesus has defeated those things, much like David defeated Goliath and allowed the Israelites to charge forward into the battle. Jesus has defeated Goliath, so now we get to charge forward and not be afraid of sin and not be afraid of powers of darkness. So it's an encouraging thing. And then the last story I want to talk about today is in chapter 26 of Samuel. And it's really what I look at this as I think about how, well, let me explain what's led up to this. So between chapter 17 and chapter 26, what we've seen is that David's popularity grew, especially from him defeating Goliath. And, you know, his favor grew with all the people. And so Saul became jealous. Um, but And so this caused Saul began to 
chase after David, and and David began to have to flee. He was on the run, and he lived as an outcast. And during these years that he was running from Saul, he would be hunted down, and he would be moving from place to place. And many of those places he'd find himself were in caves. The one who was promised to be king of Israel was now living in caves. And it, and I think about this moment, and I'm thinking about like what David must have been like. God, you like saying, you spoke this to me. You said I would be this. You said I'd be king. What is going on? I'm living in a cave. I'm definitely not living as a king right now. And all these thoughts could have gone through David's head. And this story right here in chapter 26, I think, is really beautiful because it just shows you where David was in the midst of this. So in chapter 26, he's fleeing from Saul again, and Saul is chasing him. And so Saul sets up camp, and David sees this, and so David gathers some of his men and, and asks them, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And at night, while everyone is sleeping, David and one of his soldiers sneaks down into the camp, and they get into the inner quarters where Saul's sleeping, and around his head, and David grabs a jug of water and a spear. And he sneaks out and he comes out and then he screams and he, he wakes everyone and he lets them know and he says, you know, he declares where he's at. And he sits there and he tells Saul that I did not kill you, though I had the opportunity to kill you today. I had the opportunity to take, you know, to, to remove you in a sense. And this wasn't the first time this happened to David, but this was the second time. And when I think about this story and I think about what David did is that he could have killed Saul right there and become king. He could have been, and then everything would have started to happen in order. He could have become king. And I flash back forward, or I flash backwards to kind of how Saul was when Saul was waiting on God, or, or waiting on Samuel to come. He took matters into his own hands, and because of that, he disobeyed God. And here's, here's David, who could have taken matters into his own hands so that he could have fast-tracked his his. Uh, path to being the king or to being made king quicker if he had killed Saul there he did not do so but in fact what he did is he, he lets Saul live and he actually says he loves Saul but he lets Saul live and he trusts God that God is going to make him king as God promised even though he's in the moment living in a cave and so there's a lot we can learn from this the opposite of what Saul did in chapter 13 but not just this it reminds me of Jesus Christ himself too. And in fact, in chapter 4 of Matthew, what we see is the temptation of Jesus. And here comes this character we all know so well, Satan, to tempt and, and try to persuade Jesus to obey him. And essentially this, he goes and one of the temptations he says to Jesus is, If you will bow to me, I will, I will give you the kingdoms of the earth. You see, what Jesus was going to have through the Father, especially when you look at Philippians chapter 2, it says that God would give Jesus the name above every name and that every knee should bow in heaven and under the earth and all of this, right? That he was going to have, everything was going to bow to him. He was going to be king of kings and lords of lords and all authority was going to be given to him in that sense and that he would rule all. And Satan, almost in a sense, it's like he's coming to Jesus, fast track this path. And he's saying, look, I got a better plan. If you do it this way, you'll, you, know, you won't have to go to the cross for it. You won't have to endure the pain. And David, who could have killed Saul right then and there and made, been made king faster, he was willing to continue in a place where he had to live in caves. He was willing to stay in that place as long as it would be done in God's timing and God's way. 
And Jesus the same. He was not going to bow to the temptation of Satan and say, yeah, I could become king of all the kingdoms right now because of what Satan said. And he said, no, I reject that. And I will be made king of kings and lord of lords through the Father's way. I will not do it through my own mechanism. And so he was faithful to God. He went to the cross. He went through the suffering. And because of all that, God said he was faithful even to the point of death on the cross. And so he was made king of kings and lord of lords and given the name above all names. And so this just teaches us when we look at Jesus here. We can see Jesus in this story that Jesus was someone who did not just take matters into his own hands, just like before. But now he was one who trusted the Father. And how much more should we? And we can too, because Jesus lives in us. The life of Christ lives in us. So it's a wonderful story. I hope this episode blessed you. I hope it encouraged you. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to the next one. God bless. Thanks so much for listening. For more FNT Bible Talk, be sure to subscribe and visit fntchurch.org for more information.